Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives. Hi, it's me, Emma Cloud from A Moment with Modern Mentors. And this week we are interviewing Kate Toon. Kate Toon is the founder of katetoon.com. This is episode seven of A Moment with Modern Mentors. And this season, season two, is a call for change. I've got a bit of a girl crush on Kate. She is a digital marketing guru and she is so amazing. She's been super generous with her time today. She has answered the most incredible questions in a very generous and informative way. She is an award-winning misfit entrepreneur. She works with small businesses and big brands to transform their online presence through powerful SEO, captivating content, and all the right digital marketing moves. Her claim to fame is helping businesses to grapple with the Google beast, drive more traffic, convert more customers. She has a heap of offerings. She's got a big program. She's got a couple of mini programs, and then she's got some groups that she also runs. She is super busy, but she's very organized. She likes to describe herself as a misfit entrepreneur. And once you listen to this podcast, you'll understand why she's a fascinating lady. She's really fun to talk to. The hour just slipped by. Welcome, Kate. We are so excited to have you on A Moment with Modern Mentors. Thank you for giving us your time for episode seven. I found out about you through one of the Digital Collective Pro team members, Caitlin, who signed up for your course probably a year or two ago and and has literally not stopped raving about you since. And then I actually also found out about you through Bondi Chamber of Commerce and you did a little podcast for us webinar for us there too and I'm on the Chamber of Commerce I'm secretary for the Chamber of Commerce so I was on that and you know totally impressed by you and you're a businesswoman of the year and won a heap of awards and things tell us tell us who you are and and how you came to be (laughs) katetoon.com How did, that's a very existential question. Who am I? <laughs> Who is Kate Toon? Um, well, I guess from a business point of view, I am now the founder of Stay Tuned, which is a collection of companies already focused around digital education. So I have the Clever Copywriting School, where I teach copywriters how to be better copywriters, make more money, have a good life, that kind of thing. I have a big course called The Recipe for SEO Success, which teaches people how to rank on Google. And there's all paraphernalia around that, podcasts, mini courses, groups. And then finally, I have my core business, which is katetoon.com. And alongside that is a membership where I teach digital marketing, books, events, all of that. So a lot of moving parts in my business. And, you know, that all grew out of a background in events and advertising. I started as a freelance copywriter about 12 years ago. And really, it's been the last four years, maybe five years, where I've kind of moved to more of a they call it passive income model, not having so many clients, but more working with a one-to-many model rather than a one-to-one. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Oh, I love it. That's very succinct and um, <laughs> lots of things I want to know more about. So you started off as a journalist and a copywriter, is that right? Um, I worked for my real job in events and then advertising. So I worked at agencies like Ogilvy and advertising.com, primarily in a kind of project management producery kind of role. So more organizing the things. But I did take a couple of years out to be a copywriter. I worked on um, Microsoft 
writing all their copy, very dull um, for a while. <laughs> but I came back to production, frankly, because the money was a lot better. So that was my kind of real job towards the end of my career. I was kind of working up to senior level in agencies, managing teams, digital director, general manager, very unhappy in that role. <laughs> really didn't like it. What didn't you like about it? Just being someone's boss, having so many people report to me, setting KPIs. Someone was always crying. And if it wasn't me, it was one of my team. Agencies are high pressure. Yeah. And just, you know, the idea that these people work for me, they have to do these things. And if they don't do them, I'm responsible. Just a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And that idea that you're responsible for someone else's effort, whether it's good or bad, and you then have to try and make them do a better job. But how do you do that when some people are just rubbish? And then you have to fire people. And it was long hours. And I just wasn't passionate about it. You know, we were building massive websites for car brands. And I'm just like, I don't care about these brands. I don't care about this product. I don't care about I hate it. So it was really fantastic that I got pregnant. And I had to leave because I was a contractor. So there was no maternity leave. So I had to leave and make a new job and make money very, very quickly. So I left that world. But I was five months pregnant and I started katetoon.com. You know, in those early years, I kind of did a bit of everything because I just needed to earn some money. Copywriting, (laughs) a bit of project management, a bit of horrible graphic design. And then over time, I kind of honed it into what I do now. But yeah. And that was around about, what, five years ago, was it? Or a bit no, longer? that was 2009. So that's when I went out on my own. Yeah. But it, and my son was obviously still in my tummy. Um, <laughs> it was around when my son kind of started school. So probably 2016, 2017, when I started the Clever Copywriting School and the Recipe for SEO Success. Yeah. For the first year or so, they weren't particularly successful. But really, it's the last four years when everything kind of went boom. Has been coming together. When did you figure out that one-to-many was the model that was going to be where you headed? Because I feel that you got onto this one-to-many a few years before everyone's now jumping onto a one-to-many. What was the tipping point for you? It was, you know, it wasn't like a light bulb moment. It was like a slow creeping realization that I was doing SEO, copywriting and audits for individuals. And then people would say, hey, can you come into the business and do this for us? And then I was like, oh, well, I could maybe run a workshop and have 20 people and make more money. And then I was like, this is really hard to learn in a day. So maybe I should make a course. Yeah, it was a little bit before quite a lot. But when I launched my SEO course, it was the only one in Australia at that time. There was another lady that had just started one as well. So we both got the same idea around the same sort of time. But there weren't millions. Like now there are millions. On yes. There. Yeah. So it was a bit you know, a little bit pioneering, but it wasn't kind of like a genius moment. It came more from a need from the customer than a desire for myself. So I didn't go, I want to make more money. How do I do it? I went, my customers need this. How do I serve them? Yeah. And I think the fact that it's that way around has always really helped me in business because what it means is I'm not, it's not necessarily me setting the agenda. That sounds hugely disempowering. But what I mean is my customers tell me what they want and I make it for them, which means yes. it always has a ready audience and it always sells rather than me coming up with some random thing that I want to do and then trying to make people want it. Yeah. It's a different way around. Yeah. You know? Supply and demand. And with your 
coming up with an idea for a particular client in that instance? Is that something you still do now or are you just more finessing your product and your training course? Yeah, I've got so many things now that there is a degree of I don't really need anything more. It's actually confusing for people if I launch more and more things. So last year I was very much spent improving what we have, processes. I've redesigned all my sales pages, my email funnels, my lead magnets, you know, really looked at how we run what we have. This year, I am launching some courses on Clever Copywriting School. It was always a gap. There weren't courses. There's everything else, but not courses, yeah. which I kind of I kind of didn't do because I didn't want to tread on the toes of, of certain other people who have courses, but then they trod on mine. So I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so I've been launching a few of those, but then after that, really, there is nothing more. Like I literally can't, I mean, I could do anything. You could do anything. I could make this thing, paint it blue, pop it in my shop for $27 and someone would buy it. Just because I could doesn't mean I should. So these days I'm very much about consolidation and improvement of processes and reducing my time in the business. Yeah. So yeah, we'll get to the camper van soon, but I I need to ask (laughs) you a few more questions first. But no, I, I'm really interested in this because I think I think a lot of people um, have great ideas and they kind of run with a lot of different ideas at once and expand quite quickly and then almost confuse themselves or at least definitely their audience about what their proposition and their offer is. And it's really great to hear you kind of say, you know, you also went on a bit of a, that journey and have had to pair it back and kind of really focus on your offering and what that's about. And it's taken a full year in the last 12 months to to do that, has it? Yeah. And I mean, you know, even when I talk about launching Recipe and TCCS, it was a very slow process. I mean, we're talking four years. Yeah. So I launched, I didn't do it properly. You know, I didn't have a a group, then a tripwire, then a funnel, then the big course. I launched the big course. I sold it to 20 people and then I made it. Yeah. Um, I hadn't made it yet. And then I was like, oh, I've only got those 20 people were probably the only 20 people who will ever buy it. How do I get more people? Oh, I'll do this. I'll do this. Very slow, very iterative. You know, I put the big course on sale. I call it the big course. I don't know why. It's very English. Big light. Um, <laughs> when I put it on sale, it was like $497. And now it's over $2,000. Right. So the pricing has been iterative. The content has been iterative. Mm. I went really too far, put too much in. Yeah. And then I've been taking it out again. I, you know, I used to give like 20 coaching calls. It was too much. Now yeah. It's all iterative. And that being open to changing what you have, I think is so important and not being too attached to what you've created and thinking, this is brilliant. I shall never change it. Yeah. Because everything can be improved, you know. Yeah. Do you still get on those country calls now? Is it part of your course that you are involved in it? Or do you have trainers and kind of a team uh, absolutely everything is still me. I, yeah. I can't hide that when you've paid a fortune to work. You know, you can't work with that person one-on-one. So you go the next best thing and buy their course or their whatever, and then you don't even get them. I think yeah. that's So, no, I run every coaching call. I answer every comment in the group. It's me. You know, yeah. it's not a huge it's it's a mentally draining, but it's not a huge amount of time. Now, of course, I've got people in the background maybe helping upload content or when somebody can't log in, you know, those kind of low emotion touch points I'll happily give to somebody else. But if someone's got an SEO question on my SEO course, yeah. I'm going to be the one to put an answer it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know that a lot of um, 
people after they've been doing this for a while will bring in like a team of sub experts. But I feel that that defeats the purpose. And I'm, mm. you know, I'm not just about scaling for the sake of scaling. I can only take 80 people on that course because that's as many as I know that I can service and give them all some love. And I could make it 200, you know, and I could probably sell that and have people helping, but it's not, it wouldn't be what I wanted to sell then. It wouldn't be the product that I'm proud of. And that's really important to me, you know? So yeah. yeah. Is that 80 people on a, a three month course? So you have. It's, yeah. It's 12, 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. 12 weeks. And you've got four different courses running, have you? No, so that's the big recipe course that runs three times a year. Yeah. And then all my other courses are evergreen and not supported. Got so it, they right. The big, them, whatever. It's pre-recorded kind of thing and you kind of sign up and get the courses, got it. And three times a year, that feels almost kind of like a manageable amount of time, doesn't it? Because I guess it allows you to have real structure around your year, but also know that when you're not required you can actually I guess check out and do you need a big kind of platform and system to run this course like do you how does, no. all the, how does that all work the tech is pretty simple basically I, I've, I've investigated possibly every option out there learning management systems you know looked at all the platforms like teachable and yeah. um, essentially all I have to run the course is a wordpress website with a membership and subscription plugin which is WooCommerce and then I have a Facebook group for the community all the videos are pre-recorded uh, uploaded to Vimeo embedded in the site all the course materials are just within the course released week by week very simple and then coaching calls are done via Zoom uploaded to Vimeo popped in as well so the course is like half of my business and half of my revenue so that used to really terrify me because you do all this work and because I don't use any kind of Facebook paid ads yeah it's all content marketing so three times a year there would be a day where I could potentially make nothing or $160,000 <laughs> and I have no idea kind of you get a vague idea but you don't really know what that's yes. going to be because you don't do any advertising yeah and, and you won't I've tried a little bit here and there. It doesn't really suit my model because I'm a very, I feel like my business is very handmade, personal brand stuff. So having like flashy ads saying sign up to blah, 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 kind of goes against my brand values. People yeah. come to my course because I wear them down. <laughs> uh, like you <laughs> said, right. you, know, you, saw, you saw me here, you saw me there, you saw me then, and you've never seen an ad from me but you feel like you know what I, I know what I'm talking about and I'm trustable and I'm likable. And I find content marketing much more powerful for that than ads. Yeah. But what I, my point there was going to be that you said it was great. Three times a year seems manageable because then you can switch off when you're not doing it. Unfortunately, I have two memberships as well, which are year round monthly rolling memberships with content and education. So I can never switch off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a bit of a mistake in my business that, you know, <laughs> memberships require you to be there all the time. Right. So on top of that three, um, 12 weekers, you've got this one-to-one expectation or one-to-many expectation from your membership. And do you have to show up for Zooms and things in your membership too? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've got about 800 members across the two memberships. And it's not a lot. Like, it doesn't sound a lot. We do four live pieces of content in one of the memberships and six live pieces of content in the other. But you run those across a month when you are a mum and you can only work between nine and three. And you're also trying to record podcasts, be a guest on podcasts, do work, manage a team. <laughs> it, there isn't a huge amount of room for movement, but I no. love it. You know, I, I whinge about it, but I love it. <laughs> 
Well, I, I do. I follow you on Instagram and I've got to say, I do very much understand now that you're saying content marketing, exactly what you mean about that, because really, and especially with coaching services, you just need to have an affinity with the person that you're learning from and you need to like them. You need to want to spend 12 weeks with them. You know, it's, it's, it's so true. Talk us through how your social media and your content marketing feeds into your programs and how you kind of manage that. Because that, again, like you say, is a whole beast into itself. It is. It is. Um, so with three different businesses, that means I have three Instagrams, three Twitters, three Facebooks. I only have one LinkedIn. So that's a lot of social content to put out there. Three websites. I have two podcasts. I have two large free Facebook groups. Yeah. So that's a lot of places to fill with content. Yeah. Um, so nowadays I have pre-written content that goes out on regular days. I do it kind of in 10-week lumps. And yeah. I keep it pretty simple. Monday is promo day. Tuesday is tip day. Wednesday is testimonial day. Yeah. So it means you're always present. And I don't necessarily kind of worry about that particular post going off. It's a constant, just a slow keeping top of mind, yeah. keeping the content present. So that's my approach. I use Agora Pulse to schedule my social. Agora Pulse. Okay. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's a sexy one and an expensive one, but it allows all those chat. I mean, you can do LinkedIn in there as well. Yeah, and all my Facebook groups. You know, oh, I've got okay. two free groups, two membership groups, and a course group at any given time. Wow. So, so that's really tw- what you need. You absolutely need that. That's your yeah. <laughs> lifeline. It's about 27 different outlets for content. The real key to my content marketing is I very quickly decided that the only way this was going to work was if I was like really me. I know everyone talks about being authentic and transparent um, from a brand point of view, but it's also from an efficacy point of view. If I can write anything and put it live and it's me, it's on brand. It doesn't matter. It's on brand because yeah. I am my brand. Yeah. So if I make a typo, that's on brand. If I swear, <laughs> that's on brand. If I don't swear, that's on brand. Yeah. If I share a picture of my dog, it's on brand. If I yeah. share a really wise tip. And it means, therefore, I can post anything at any time. I haven't put out there an image of myself being a particularly good-looking, well-dressed entrepreneur. So that means I can go live and do IGTVs at any time. You know, I can post in the morning, in the afternoon, because I've marketed myself as a slightly scruffy, erratic, inconsistent human. That means <laughs> I can be scruffy, erratic, and inconsistent, and it's yeah. all off the ground. What so, a relief. You it know. is. It's, like, yeah, it's fabulous. Oh, it's fabulous. amazing. And, you know, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but if I was super polished, professional, on brand and glamorous, that wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea either, but it'd be Mm. a lot more effort. So, you know, I do share good advice. I do share tips, but generally I share a lot about my business life and my journey and my personal life Mm. within boundaries. And then a lot of the time, it's not even that I'm sharing content. I'm responding to other people's content. So someone asks a question, I will spend a deal of time answering that really, really well, yeah. being confident that I'm not only helping that person, but also the hundred other people who read the post and my response. Absolutely. So a lot of my content marketing is about generosity of time and just helping people and yeah. leaving no, no comment unanswered. That's my And opinion. how far ahead do you need to plan out your posts or do you work them a little bit okay. more spontaneously? I don't plan them out in any way, shape or form because I've tried. I would love to be this sort of person. So I have those regular posts that are kind of like, here's a course I run. And they're, yeah. they're the same all the time. Because, But if it's like a, 
you know, one of those eloquent long posts that's like, one day I was thinking about cheese. And I thought, <laughs> you know, those kind of posts. Yeah. Um, I just write them when I can think of them. And some yeah. days I can't think of and anything. And just post them, post them when, when they're ready, yeah. <laughs> when they're cooked. I'd love to be the sort of person who has 30 days of content plan, but again, that, that's not who I am. And I'd be really hemmed in by that because, oh, it's Tuesday. I'm not allowed to post anything because I've got this going out at nine o'clock, but I've got a great picture of my dog. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so I guess, you know, the brand, Kate Toon, is very much obviously, as your name, it is you. How did you come to be this person that you are today? Has it been an, an evolution or are you always destined for this or is there something something in your background that kind of, propelled you this way like what brought you to this point it's funny you asked that because I was I was reading my son a bit of my diary from when I was like 12 the other day because he was asking (laughs) what was I like when I was 12 and I said "Let, let me tell you and I was the same idiot I am today I was worrying about the same things I was worrying about then and the funny thing was I'd started with my mates a membership where we got badges and we wrote a newsletter and stuff when I was about 12. And I was writing in my diary about what a pain in the bottom it was and it was taking too much time and no one was signing up. <laughs> I'm like, this is weird. I'm going to share it on social media so you can see it. But no, I think I've always been quite creative. Um, I don't think I'm necessarily driven, but I'm super enthusiastic. When I'm into something, I'm really into it. And when I'm not, I'm not. And I think... I tried for those early years on social media to kind of do the right thing and be a proper copywriter and I just couldn't keep it up. So then the more I started to be myself, the more people responded to it positively and negatively as well. I mean, I've had my share of trolls and nasty comments. I just think it's part of getting older as well. You give less Fs Mm. and you just kind of like, it's very hard. People say it all the time. You know, some people aren't going to like you and that's okay. Very easy meme to write on an Instagram post. Very hard <laughs> meme to live. Yeah. How have you, how, tell us a bit about that because what, I mean, you kind of, I, I'm thinking to myself, you're saying that what on earth could people troll you about? Like what is there that's, that you're doing, you know, what are you, what are, what's happening? Very offensive. Um, no, I mean, in the early days, a lot of it was being in very male-dominated SEO communities, being really? the only female and being, you know, the way men don't ask for directions. Male SEOs don't ask questions, whereas I was learning and I was open to the fact that I wasn't a genius. So I was asking questions and they would kind of jump on that like pigeons fighting over a chip <laughs> and use it as a way to kind of demean me that I didn't have the knowledge. So there was mm. a lot of that when I started out, which was very, it was challenging and it did get to me. Yeah. Over the years, you know, like I, I wrote a blog post about things not to do on Facebook. It's one of my most viewed podcasts. I think we're up to nearly a million views on that blog post. Loads of great comments, but someone else will write a comment saying, you are an appalling writer. You should not have a blog. You know, someone sent me an email saying, you are too ugly to send me emails. That was fantastic. Oh and, you know, people leave reviews on the podcast saying, your voice is so annoying. You talk too fast. Someone wrote on, on my Instagram, I liked you better when you were fat. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's brilliant. So these days I just screen grab the comment and use yeah. it as my own social media. Oh, you have like, to. Exactly. You. Yeah. It's Perfect. a hoot. I know. I mean, you come across like a fairly resilient person, but, I mean, you saying there even, you know, you've been affected by it. What goes on in your mind? Like are you taking it on board or is it just something that just kind of keeps playing and you're going, I know I shouldn't worry about this, but. Yeah, I think it used to keep playing. It used to keep playing. Now it doesn't really play at all. 
I think it was either Hemingway, it was someone, we'll attribute it to Hemingway, who said, you know, if you want to, if you don't want to be criticised, do nothing, be nothing, say nothing. You know, you can't even put a toe into the social media pond without somebody going, look at you. So, you know, you can't have it all. And there's a few moments that I've really realised that during the whole Black Lives Matter movement, Mm. I got criticised for not putting up the black square on a particular day and for also not having a voice in that debate. And I, you know, was like, who cares about my voice as a middle-class white woman in Australia? What have I got to say? But then I realised that people were looking to me Mm. to say something. And someone wrote, I remember at the time, you know, you can't have the success and the money and the followers and whatever without there being a bit of kickback. You know, you can't be Kim Mm. Kardashian and make all this money out of being a celebrity and not have someone take a bad picture of your bottom now and again. It's just (laughs) part of what it's the, it's the deal with the devil, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we all, we might not realize it, but we have all made that deal with the devil if we start trying to be a personal brand online. And so Mm. I accept that. These days, the only thing that gets to me is when, if I offend or upset someone that I actually care about, like if mm. I'm, if I'm uh, the other week, I was in quite a rush and I wrote quite an abrupt email to someone. It wasn't rude, but it was very staccato. Mm-hmm. And they came back and they said, oh, this email really hurt my feelings. That will sit with me. That yes. will sit with Yeah, me. absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. But some random dude called Kevin telling me I'm fat. Uh, you know, <laughs> good on you, Kevin. I bet you're fat too. You know. <laughs> and do you think that you attribute any of your upbringing, your background, your parenting to the kind of person that you are today, or do you feel like you're a self-made human? I think my parents helped me be massively insecure and have no confidence. <laughs> my parents are brilliant. My parents are brilliant, and I love them very much. But I don't think they bred a huge amount of confidence into me. Might have been a generational much. thing, though, mightn't it? <laughs> It wasn't stuff, you didn't talk about stuff like this. You just lived your life. You didn't think about your life. You just lived, get on with it. My parents are from the north of England. You know, I'm surprised that it's just like, just get on with it is the attitude. But my mum and dad were lovely. And, you know, my mum especially is still my best friend and my confidant. I ring my mum every day. And my dad had his own business. My dad, both my mum and my dad are very smart eloquent individuals and that's definitely helped and also really encourage creativity curiosity didn't necessarily encourage confidence but uh, maybe because they weren't massively confident people Mm. they definitely encouraged everything else and they you know built me up to believe in my intellect I guess yeah so no I definitely credit them with that and you know they've been actively involved in my business they're really you know like some people's parents are like what do you do again (laughs) my mom and dad know intimately what I do yeah they really are proud of me and you still need your parents I do need my parents to be proud of me so they are a driving (laughs) force I think yeah well I mean I think of the age group where probably very different from probably the kids that we're bringing up now where we're constantly building them up and giving them you know lots of confidence our parents weren't like that I I, I don't think you know I talked to a lot of people of that generation and it was more about stripping back I don't get I don't think too much of yourself (laughs) exactly Yeah, we're probably building a generation of monsters with all this stuff. I know that is the worry, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so on that, on your on your status, you know, you've got a young son from your previous partner, and you've repartnered now. How does kind of being a I don't want to call it single mom, solo mom? How does that work into your world? You were saying you're doing school hours nine to three, which is obviously you know what's the beauty of having your own business that flexibility. But how does your kind of juggle with your personal life work into your business world 
It works really brilliantly well because me and my ex, I guess you'd call him, deliberately moved out of Sydney onto the central coast to take to be able to buy our own home and to have that slightly more leisurely lifestyle. And um, we both work in our own businesses and we both work from home, which means we're very present for our son, you know, mm-hmm. no judgment on anybody else but that kid is lucky he's never had to go to after school care or anything like that you know now my partner my ex and I we actually do what I think the term is nesting so we still live together in the same house and we all live as a family and then every alternate weekend one of us will go away and spend time with other people which you know people are very shocked by like how can you do that I love my ex he was fantastic we fell out of romantic love but we didn't fall out of love with each other he's a fantastic person he's my best mate do you know what mm. I mean that was a decision we made to keep that family unit together and so it works really well we've always been really good at dividing and conquering so you know I do work school hours but what we do is like one Monday will be my partner's day and he'll get my son ready for school he'll do dinner he'll do all of that so I could work a little bit longer if I wanted to Tuesday's my day I do yes. everything you know yeah. and we just it works really really well you, you um, carved it up so that it really yeah. it's a team a team effort, team effort yeah. and so and then how does your new partner work into that model well he again he has his own business he has children the same age as my son he has a very amicable relationship with his ex so they divide and conquer day on day off I mean look it means that we can't see each other as much as a normal couple would probably see each other but it's fine you know it, it works well for us we've got other priorities you know we're not teenagers desperate to like you know see each other in five minutes and the fact that he has his own business and his own children and understands the pressure that that builds means it works really really well it's not like one of us has a real job and no kids and it's like why can't you come over now we understand (laughs) how it works and you know at the end of the day I work in a hut in my back garden so I can literally see my son watching YouTube from where I am now you know (laughs) and you know and my son as well, he's nearly 12, going on 47. <laughs> he will come into the office and work for me. So he's my post manager. He manages all the posts, all the parcels that we send out, which we send out a lot of. He's also edits all my videos for my courses. Wow. So he's part of the business. He earns money oh, for that. Amazing. He wants to invest in Bitcoin. We'll see. <laughs> amazing. I know. And you're probably completely inspiring him in so many things. Working women, so. business, digital business. It's all going to be filtering into his brain and probably mapping out what he wants to do in his life. What is his future looking like? Does he have any kind of dreams? He want to take over the family business? Uh, I don't know if he does. I think he really wants to get into tech or science. He's very into tech. But I think what he has seen is there are lots of different ways to be successful. You know, that when we were brought up again, we sound like we were born in the 1850s, but <laughs> you know, it was be a teacher, be a doctor, be a lawyer. Those are proper jobs. Whereas now I think you'd be a fool if you trained to be a lawyer. You know, a horrible job. Sorry, lawyers. So much oh. training and effort from a very young age when you don't really know what who you are. You know, you go to, I had friends at university who were training to be doctors. You know, they'd made that decision at 18 because their parents wanted them to. They're seven years of study. And at the end of that, what if you change your mind? You know? <laughs> Which invariably they have. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I think he's seen there's lots of different routes to success. And I think I think he what I do with him is I say, you're gonna get twenty dollars when you finish the task. I don't care how long it takes you. You're getting $20 when you finish the task. So he understands that if he works hard and works fast, he makes more money. Yeah. That's a really good lesson, not to be a wage slave and just exchange your time for money. Like you'll often think of, he'll come in and he'll go, 
you know, you told me to do the, the labels, then put the thing on, then do it. But I thought it was a lot quicker <laughs> if I did all the labels, then did all the packing, then all, you know, like he finds ways to be more efficient. Oh, brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's just so cool. He's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's in your team. Who else is in your team? You put a, a post up on Facebook the other day or Instagram the other day about your expanding team. Is this a team of remote workers that you have? Yeah. On board? So the most important person is uh, sitting behind me on the floor, my CFO, <laughs> my very officer. He's my, my mentor. But yeah, so. Up until about five years ago, there was no one in my team. And then I started with a great VA, uh, Chantelle, for a couple of hours a week, just because I wasn't really sure how a VA would work. I think most people are nervous about that. And then now it's expanded to having three VAs, one overseas, two here, full-time digital marketing assistant, a copywriter, a proofreader, two web developers, a graphic designer, a, a bookkeeper, an accountant, a video editor, and a PR person. Wow. So all of them, yeah, all up, they do little hours between them, you know, hours here, hours there. My probably wage bill each month is around 30 to 40 grand a month. Wow. That people um but there's a lot of different people and then none of them are employed they're all subcontractors right yeah and that works for you as a model yes because remember i talked to you about the crying humans at the beginning people no. crying all the time oh when well, i had a real oh job. yes the crying humans yes, yes. <laughs> no I, I remember that yeah yeah it was so long ago um <laughs> it was 45 minutes ago i know who were we yes then? yes the, i know because i i really relate to the crying humans because i i sound like i've had a similar background to you working in corporate and working and managing and getting into general management positions exa- exactly the same and same thing having to deal with people who weren't happy in their jobs or not working out uh, I really do empathize with that so I, I also have a team of people who are remote and consultants so I'm interested in in how you man- manage that and how I think how you build that community and team spirit, spirit yeah. um, without the crying humans <laughs> well I think the thing is you know I pay everybody what they ask there's no kind of wrangling around money <laughs> I pay everybody on retainer at the start of the month and so then they use up their hours so you know for, for cash point of view they're treated well you know yes. that's money is important let's be honest of course um, for many of them I am one of their biggest clients so there is a desire and I'm consistent with the work so they know that the work is coming and they can mm. plan their lives around it we use slack and asana to manage work I think one of the things I am relatively good at is building community. And I kind of neglected it a little bit with the team because I still, even up to like six months ago, was like, is this, am I going to do this? And they're like, yes, I am. Like for at least the next year, these are the people in my business. This is how much I'm paying and we're doing this. So even silly things, like we all have our different Slack channels, but I have a general channel where every couple of days I'll give them an update on how the business is going. Mm. And I'll invest them in They're Like, so we just launched my membership. How many people does everyone think we're going to get? And everyone votes and then the person mm. that gets prices wins a prize. And we have a kind of feel good channel where we just share stupid memes and pictures of what we did at the weekend. And, you know, I really try and foster them to have peer to peer relationships so that I'm not the stop gap in the, not the stop gap. I'm not the blockage in the tube, Mm. you know, so they can be autonomous and manage. And then I'm just coming in and steering it a little bit this way and that way. So I think it works. I think they all feel part of the team. If you interviewed any of them, they might be like, God, Kate's an absolute cow. But, um, (laughs) They've all been with me for quite a long time now and I've got a lot better at going, 
uh, being a good leader, which I didn't really understand before, even if it is a stressful moment and it is really important and time sensitive, not passing that on to the team and going, you take the time you need. We'll be good. No one's mm-hmm. going to die. Even yeah. though inside yeah. I'm dying, not necessarily <laughs> yeah. expressing that every minute to the team. So, yeah. And that requires you to be a bit more of a confident solid individual which I feel 12 years into my business gosh if you'd done this interview with me when I started I was a gibber I mean I probably still have a gibbering idiot but <laughs> not at all I'm much more centered things don't rock I'm not so like this I'm yes, doing hands yes yes probably the growth that you've done in in running your own business and probably you kind of care less about things you can let them go a little bit more is what I'm oh, hearing very much more yeah I think I don't I used to spiral a lot spiral up into excitement spiral mm-hmm. down into depression spiral left looking at my competitor who was doing better than me spiral into self-doubt you know just constant just go down rabbit holes where you're just wasting so much energy and emotion so much better spent on making a thing or having a phone call or doing a podcast so I just have learned over time and it's taken a long time to stop (laughs) stop being an idiot and stop worrying about things that really won't matter stop scenarioizing and thinking the worst Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I guess like, I'd love to understand that part of, you know, what, what's the worst that can happen and how you get, kind of shift your thinking around that. Because I, I, I get that, you know, you can look all around and be kind of caught up and really lose focus on what you're actually trying to do for days, weeks, months, you know, and if you're not careful, it can just overtake you. How do you pull yourself back in or how have you taught yourself that that's just not important? Is it through a very kind of busy schedule or is it just something mentally that's shifted in you? Well, actually something you mentioned right at the beginning about how, why do we choose to buy someone's generally is because we like them. We're going to have to spend 12 weeks with them or whatever. So realizing that that is the fundamental of all of this, Mm. you know, that it's a lot to do with utter subjectivity. You know, I can have the most beautiful sales page of perfectly priced products, market it, doing everything you should do, and it still might not sell because that person just doesn't click with me. Mm. Um, Or I could sell something amazingly well and it could be appallingly marketed just because that person likes me. And I think you just get to the point where you realize you are enough. You Mm. are all you've got. You can only do your best. There's only so many hours in the day. No one's going to die if you don't deliver it. And most importantly, no one cares. No (laughs) one's looking. No one's looking at me and going, oh, I wish Kate would put another Instagram post out. She hasn't done one for at least half an hour. No one cares. Mm -hmm. Everyone's so self-involved and worried about their own stuff. No one's looking. And once you realize you can, it's like, you know, dance like nobody's watching. Once you realize you can work like nobody's watching, it's just so freeing. Yeah. Obviously, there needs to be a bit of financial solvency. And I've always in my head thought, well, I can always go and get a job as a secretary or in Woolworth. I started as a secretary. (laughs) I can go back to be a secretary. And and I would enjoy it. I enjoyed that job. I can manage on a lot less money than I have now. I'll be fine. I think it's just that feeling of I'll be fine. Whatever Mm. happens, I'll be fine. And I'm confident, though. That's a confidence. Yeah. And I didn't have that in my 20s or my 30s. And I didn't have it in my early 40s, but now I'm nearing the ripe old age of 50. I'm 46. <laughs> that feels very close to 50. I just feel like <laughs> Don't age yourself. I know. Even if this all went down the toilet tomorrow, I would be okay. Yeah, I yeah. I love that. And I think that's kind of the 
most amazing part of this part of your life, isn't it? That, that real yeah. just letting go of all those fears and being able to just to live lots and lots of women saying it, you know, just they finally feel free of their own baggage. <laughs> yeah, finally. It's such a relief. And you've got to talk to us about the camper van and this <laughs> new plan you've got and how you're going to manage all this work that you do now you've oh. got a plan on the camper van. Well, I think, you know, the last year COVID obviously affected all of us in different ways. I managed to keep my book business going during COVID, keep everybody employed and actually hire a few people. So I'm very proud of that. But it really did make me realise that life is short. My dad isn't very well. He's over in the UK. My son is getting older by the minute. How much longer have I got with him? I don't want to spend all my time working. I've climbed up to the summit and I've got a bit of summit syndrome. Like what next? There's many things I could do, but do I really want to? Do I need another thing, another course, another book, another do I need it? I'd much rather actually been living to work for a long time and now it's the cliche I want to work to live so the camper van is a project because unfortunately I am you know I do have a kind of hyper functioning nervous anxiety and if I'm left some people relax by doing nothing I relax by doing stuff that isn't the thing that I normally do so you know I'm somebody that relaxes by cleaning or (laughs) reorganizing my sock drawer so the camper van is an endless sock drawer because there's (laughs) so many different projects within it and then even when it's done there will be adventures to plan so it's a massive big white expensive destruction (laughs) and so does that mean that you're actually spending the first part of that time doing it up and then planning the trip I have zero interest in doing the trips. I just want to do it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So it's not about actually going out and on the, in the road. <laughs> but I said to my partner, Look, this is just such a great content pillar for Instagram. No, <laughs> I, I, would, I, I love the idea. You know, I love planning projects and mapping it out and doing drawings and, you know, choosing all the little elements. And also I'm going to challenge myself to refit it, uh, not the electronics and the gas. That's going to be a professional person. But I want to build all the cabinetry myself. Oh. And I want to teach myself how to do that because I'm like Amazing. if I can run a million dollar company I can work out how to make a shelf surely, <laughs> surely. if I want surely. to I mean this amazing group Bunnings Mums group on Facebook oh is there oh, it's amazing oh the things, find women, it. the things in the way I'll send you the link yeah the things the women in that group make and the things that they do you you could not believe it and oh. you know I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. I want a new challenge. So I've, I, I don't want a new business challenge. I want my business to just be easy and stress-free, but I do need a new life challenge. Hence Love it. And so does this, is this what you mean by misfit entrepreneur? Yeah, I think misfit entrepreneur is just, if you look at me, if you talk to me, I don't feel like I fit the mold of a proper business person. I don't wear pencil skirts. I don't have a business plan. I don't have really any employees or investors or bank loans or any any of the trappings that you would usually expect from a, somebody that's at a senior level in a business. But you can be very successful in your business on your own terms and be very financially successful and still be a bit of a scruffy person in the in the pajamas in a shed in the back garden, you know. <laughs> and that's what I want. That's why I wrote the book and that's why I pushed that mantra out because I think there's a lot of 
pressure on social to act a certain way when you're running a business and it's all nonsense and I just wish more people were just able to just be themselves and have the business they want and stop trying to find the secret and the perfect path because it doesn't exist it's pretty much kind of what's going on in the world around us isn't it It used to be kind of like all white people one dimension everyone looked the same acted the same were the same and now you thank god you actually see some color and variety of people rather than everyone being this homogenous yeah middle class white man you know Um, I I love seeing the different ages I love you know people with disabilities I love seeing women of all shapes and sizes not necessarily beautiful thin women people of all different colors you know sexuality it's brilliant I love it I think that makes life so much more interesting the funny thing is I've got a friend who is a middle-aged white man um, (laughs) and I was we're talking about speaking at conferences and he says I'm I'm doomed now, I am exactly the person. They don't want me on the mantle anymore, the male <laughs> he said, it's the, And I said, it's just the end of your time. It's like the dinosaurs had to die out. Now you're dying out. <laughs> I know. I do feel. But I, I don't think the middle-aged white woman's got longevity either. I mean, really, uh, you've got it. I think, I think as long as we all just think of ourselves as, as humans of different forms, <laughs> then we're fine, you know. But I think it's interesting and I, and I love that. And I think it's just... Great. Anybody who breaks down any kind of stereotype is, is a winner in my book, I think. Absolutely. I know. Well, I mean, it's a good, this is a kind of leads us to nicely to kind of the end of our um, questions. But one of the questions that I wanted to ask, and we do ask all of our guests, was what is a book that has really moved you over the years? Well, I don't have any business books because I'm not a reader of, of, of business books, uh, unfortunately. So it would probably be something terribly ridiculous like the lord of the rings or, or <laughs> so yeah I, I, the only i say the only but a bit of a self-help book would be this one don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff by richard carlson so this is the only book i have on my desk so i'd say that's and what one. you refer to it regularly yeah it's just little one page chapters like become a better listener seek first to understand uh, your inbox will never be empty imagine yourself at your own funeral once a week, write a heartfelt letter. Just little mantras and ways Ooh, to live your life. Yeah. Not okay. stressy. It's great. Hear that. <laughs> and then the final question: If you had a megaphone, which you do anyway, and you wanted to tell the world some message from Kate Toon, what is it? What, what's your the most important thing you can share at this point? I've got it written on a little board today. Someone else's quote, but it's uh, "Life is ten percent what happens to you, and ninety percent how you react to it." Oh, so yeah. that would be my message. Don't react. That's a really important thing. Yeah. Or think nice. about how you react. <laughs> yeah. Careful. Kate, thank you so much. It's been awesome. It's like flying past. Um, I'm glad we had a list of questions, but I, I wanted to ask you 10 more, maybe another time. But no, thank you so much. You've been very, very generous with your information and just your, you know, how you run your business. And I really do appreciate that. And I can't wait to share it with everyone. Good luck and with everything and can't wait to see the developments of the Canva van. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kate. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from A Moment with Modern Mentors coming your way soon.